from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. This week, we're sharing a special event from the 2018 New York Film Festival, in which actor Willem Dafoe joined NYFF director Kent Jones for an in-depth conversation about his illustrious career. At Eternity's Gate, starring Dafoe as Vincent Van Gogh, spending his final years in Arles, France, premiered as a closing night selection at NYFF and is now in theaters. Additionally, Defoe appears in two other films now playing, Aquaman and Vox Lux, for which he serves as the film's narrator. Let's go now to the conversation. You can smell that broccoli now, right? I do. Yeah. You smell broccoli? <laughs> That's weird. Nothing I ate. <laughs> it's something they cooked someplace. Oh. It's been following me around. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Um, when we were doing the press conference for the movie, that was yesterday, I guess, you were saying that you were talking about the way that the movie was shot, and you said, I know it sounds kind of irresponsible, but it really isn't. Um, can you, you know, just tell that story? Um, no, just that uh, when we were shooting the movie, there was very strong script. So it's not like we were tweaking that. I mean, there was a text with very little indication except for who was talking to who. But besides that, we would decide what that was. But usually, uh, Julian would shoot very fast uh, in a very fluid way, and we'd finish early in the day, and then we'd have the rest of the day to do whatever we wanted, which was mostly painting or walking around in the landscape Mm -hmm. and just inventing things. And that was a very fun way to work uh, because you kind of got your work done and then you uh, got to play around. I only said irresponsible. I probably shouldn't have said irresponsible, but I mean, it wasn't like a regular... It seemed irresponsible. Yeah, it seemed irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then... Uh, just so we know, uh, how many how people many have people seen? Yeah, thank yeah, you. At Eternity's Gate. Okay, that's a pretty okay. fair number. Okay, if you haven't seen, no, I, I, not to find out where you thought of it, but just <laughs> so we know how much to speak to that. Yeah, specifically. Yeah, that, and and to be clear, I'm asking that question because it's you've made all different kinds of films with all different kinds of directors under all different kinds of circumstances, and it's a very unorthodox way of shooting. You know, every film is so different, and I can't stress that enough, yeah. particularly if you aren't like an industry guy that goes from studio film to studio film, and I am not. Yeah. Um, but also, people's notion, even some people that work in movies, they have a very kind of old-fashioned notion of how movies are made yes. and uh, what the responsibility of different people is and they have kind of the old-fashioned theater model or something of there's the dramaturgy there's a script and there's a director who comes in and watches and then there's actors who read the script and have an idea about the character and then they all get in a room and Mm -hmm. the actors do their thing and the director watches them and kind of cleans up things and there's so many overlapping yeah uh it's particularly with Julian, because I know him and because he's an artist. We know each other pretty well, and 
we didn't do this to interpret something. Yeah. We went to have an experience and record that experience. And then out of the material that we would create, right. we would frame it, mostly he, because he's more responsible for the post, um, you know, frame it and, and cut it and put it together in, in a way that would express what he wanted, him being the uh, principal a person that Guiding creates course. the vision. Yeah. But for me, I mean, I when I'm working with someone like Julian, I don't feel like an actor as much as a, a doer and a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and in certain cases, you were actually uh, handling the camera. Yeah. yeah, which I've done before, but in this I did more. And painting. And painting. Painting was essential. Mm-hmm. Practically speaking, you're because the, the way it was shot, it wasn't one of these things where, you know, you'd see the painting and then you'd have a stunt painter and then you'd cut to me. We weren't shooting that way. We didn't shoot coverage. Um, we shot fluidly and there was no coverage. Uh, and we shot fast. Mm -hmm. So for the people that saw the movie and remember it well, when uh, those boots, I painted those boots. Yeah. Um, Julian practiced me at it. He gave me, coached me on it. I, I practiced because I knew that scene was going to come. And almost all the painting I did was practicing to do the things that I would do in the movie. Yeah. And sometimes uh, the, the canvas would be prepared to some degree, and then I'd work areas or I'd do part, part of the painting. Right. But like the shoes, really, from scratch. And that was very important because the truth is, for a while, they look very bad. <laughs> yeah, they look like a mess. The colors look all wrong. You wonder what the hell it is. <laughs> and then at the very end, boom, it goes like that. Yeah. With a couple of marks, yeah. it turns into something else. And it doesn't look like the boots. Yeah. It's not a right. representation. It's not a good likeness, but it captures something. And if the audience sees that, like I see it when I watch it, as an audience member, then I think that's a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Van Gogh talked about, he saw the power of art, you know, you know, it's sometimes I want to say something greater than life. That's not quite the right word. But, you know, he said there's more soul in Millet's sower mm -hmm. than there is a guy in the field. Mm -hmm. And I get the point. I mean, uh, he also said... You know, I don't invent the painting. I don't invent the picture. It's there in nature. Mm. I just have to free it. Mm. Those are beautiful, evocative things for me. They mean something to me. And then when I'm practiced at painting, you know, it becomes, I have a real relationship to those things. Mm -hmm. So as an actor, when I'm saying those things, I'm not thinking about Vincent van Gogh. I'm thinking about me. Yeah. And how I feel about making things, how I feel about my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's also another moment when, when um, you're talking to, when Van Gogh is talking to Dr. Dr. Gachet, played by Mathieu Malric, and you say, well, he says, why do you paint? And you say, well, I paint so that I can stop thinking. Yeah. Yeah. We all relate to that. Yeah. No, <laughs> we all do things that where we feel, you know, yeah. We disappear into the action. We disappear into life. You yeah. know, we wake up. We, we're inseparable from what is. And 
That's important. And that's what you're in pursuit of as an actor. Really? Yes. I can't, you know, when we were um, backstage, you were just asked, you know, what's your favorite scene in the movie? And you said, oh, I'm not sure. But I have to say, uh, there's a moment in the film, and I can't remember whether it's Mads Mikkelsen's The Priest or whether it's the doctor who asks you, do you get angry? Who asks Van Gogh, do you get angry? It's Mads Mads Mikkelsen. And the way that you react to it, you say... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's just strikes me as a moment where, you know, you're not thinking about the choice of smiling. I'm not. Or, you I'm know, not. Yeah. I'm not. And if I thought about smiling, it probably would have hardened right. and tipped tip my hand and yeah. wouldn't have the quality of indecision or discovery. Yeah. No, yeah. that's true. Yeah. You got an eye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there, there, was, there was a true moment. There was a true yeah. moment. Yeah. And, you know, you're used to yourself, so you're used to what your impulses are, and also you remember the shooting of the film. So it's funny when you watch a movie. Most of it's like a home movie, and you have associations with what was going on in that day besides also the normal thing of, oh, they used that take, or, Mm. oh, that looks different than I thought, or, oh, I thought that was much better, or Mm -hmm. I was worried about that, but actually it looks pretty good. You got all that going on. Mm -hmm. But above that, there are these little moments where you say, huh, I don't even recognize myself. That That's mm-hmm. something that happened. And that's one of those moments. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I feel like there are, uh, there are moments like that in a film that you were uh, in last year when you were here with Florida Project. I can tell Project. you another moment. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, this is really getting kind of in-house. You've got to be like my mother to know this stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> She's dead, by the way. Okay, so... Um, so we can, we, can, we can talk about it. Um, there was a moment in, in Florida Project where the woman said to me, don't you trust me? And she, it was something she, she was improvised. But I actually heard it yeah. outside of being an actor or anything. Yeah. And I looked at her. And I had this moment where, where I wasn't either... I wasn't in or out or, you know, it it was a slap. It was a wake-up moment. And uh, I saw that, and I didn't remember it. So Mm -hmm. uh, I guess my point is I really believe in the quality of being there Mm -hmm. and fluidity. And I'm I'm interested in situations where you can arrive at that. I'm less interested in the virtuosity of the technique. Um, It's admirable. I don't have it, so you go to the point of your strengths. I mean, I have some well, you ability, have you know, but I, that's not my go-to thing, and that's yeah. not what I'm interested in so much. That's kind of your... I think of it as language, not something I want to work out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an ability to express yourself, but really, I usually am more interested in abandoning that technique. Yeah. Um, when you were... When, when you, we were looking at the trailer, you and Robert Pattinson said, "Yeah, I love coming here to the New York Film Festival and looking for good directors." <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like, okay, so this is where it happens. Um, good to know. But um, <clears throat> you said, "Yeah, I, I, you know, that's what I'm always looking for too," and that's what you're looking for in a filmmaker, somebody who's going to create that kind of environment where I want to be around people that interest me. Yeah, right. you know that um, that. I want to be their creature. I want yeah. to, they have an idea or they want to do something. They may not exactly know what it is. Mm-hmm. In fact, when Julian 
started making this movie, he wasn't sure what it was. I yeah. swear to God. Yeah. But he has very strong ideas, and I've been around him a lot. I've known him for many years. I know, I knew that he knows painting. I've yeah. been around him. I know he knows how to make things, and he's a, he's a great filmmaker. So to play Van Gogh, yeah. when I hear Julian's going to do a film about Van Gogh, it's not so much Van Gogh, it's Julian. Yeah making a film about Van Gogh. Yeah. Um, the people are very important to me yeah. because material isn't realized but by people in situations and you need people to make those situations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting what you were saying before about the hierarchical situations that you can get into with bigger budget movie making, industrial movie Not making. Not just big, big, bigger budget movie making. Yeah. It happens even in independent films, you know, where people have That's their true. idea of roles or have their ideas of approaches and they're kind of fixed in those. Yeah. Well, where there's a hierarchy where everybody's kept, the director is kept isolated. There's the chain of command and the AD is the one that everything's fed through. And, the, you know. <laughs> I'm going to tell this makes me think of a story I think it's worth wasting the time on. But we're not um, wasting time. I, I, I did a film in China. Yeah. And in China, actors are really treated like gods. And the thing is, you want, ideally, at least in the China cinema I know, mm -hmm. I've worked there twice. Um, and the actors want to spend as little time on the set as possible. <laughs> it's kind of a prestige thing and a kind of pride thing about their craft and about their godliness, you know. Mm. So everything gets set up. They come in, they do their thing, and leave as quickly as possible. <laughs> Me, I've always, not to sound like a brown noser, yeah. but I, I, I love to hang on the set because you got to know what's going on. Yeah. You got you want to be part of the fabric. Also, I feel more relaxed, you know, when I yeah. feel a part of it. It's really hell to go away and then come back and have to jump into something. You don't know what happened before yeah. as far as, you know, even as far as who's had just had a fight or what they've had for lunch. All that stuff you should take on because yeah. it, it affects what you're doing. But in China, in order to protect this tradition of this kind of um, actors being held up as these special creatures, <laughs> even extended to us, <clears throat> I used to start to walk to the set and they'd say, no, no, you can't go. <laughs> I'd say, I, what's going on? I, let me, I, I, I don't want to be hanging out in the trailer. I want to watch. No, 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 you're dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say... No, come on, really, I'm okay. I, I know where to stand, don't worry. No, no, please, please, dangerous. I'd say, okay, okay, no, no, I'll just go over on the side. And then they say, please, my job, my job, they'll fire me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it, but it's become more possible to build this sort of like, um, what do I want to say, like a friendly, more organic working environment with newer, lighter cameras, like, for instance, the kind of camera that Benoit Delum used, um, you know, where he, which was the red, and he was filming it with his, uh, just with his hands, right? Doing everything handheld. Right. Yeah. There's a good part and a bad part. Yeah. I also like working in film with the clunky old. Yeah. Because you got a gun to your head. Yeah. And the project was shot on film, right? Yeah. 35. Yeah. And 
you got a little bit of a gun to your head. You can't just burn film. You yeah. can't do yeah. 12 takes. You can't do 40 takes. Yeah. You don't have the money to do that. Right. So it forces you, I don't know, to be a little more first thought, best thought, yeah. and be decisive mm -hmm. and be impulsive. Yeah. Because I've seen things, you know, since, since video has come into play, yeah. and you can shoot forever. You know, you can lose the shape of things. Yeah. You can lose the structure. You can improvise till you blue in the face. You start to get clever. You can be flexible as hell. Yeah. But, and you can get all these moments that we're looking for that mm -hmm. are relaxed and fluid, but you lose the shape of things. Right. So I kind of do like the discipline that the technology puts on you. Yeah. Low budgets do that too. Pardon? Low budgets do that too. They do. <laughs> no matter what you're shooting. And I, I yeah. like that immediacy because, you mm -hmm. know, if you think about it too much, I, you know, I always think about Last Temptation. If yeah. that had a bigger budget, that was a low budget movie. And we didn't do lots of takes. Last Temptation of Christ by Martin, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Yeah. It was, he's a master and, and he had planned out the film for many years. Yeah. He was on top of it, so he was very decisive. But it also helped us. Uh, the limitations helped us. Yeah. So we didn't get distracted by a certain kind of pageantry or a certain kind of period thing. Yeah. We could be more elemental. And I think to some degree that's true of this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, conversations. Yeah. Conversations being in nature of painting. That's basically the structure. There's all these tight shots and there's all these landscapes and yeah. some stuff in between. And... I like that because it puts your feet to the fire. Yeah, yeah. I think that in the case of Last Temptation, um, with the crucifixion, I think Marty told me that he had like 50 setups and then the budget got, you know, they, you guys ran out of time and he had to cut half of them. Yeah. And work it out with Michael Ballhouse, the cameraman. But that was a very high-pressure situation, huh? Yeah. Actually, there's a similarity because Michael didn't have a lot of equipment. Yeah. Benoit didn't need a lot of equipment. Mm -hmm. Both of them, I felt like they were dancing partners mm -hmm. with me, mm -hmm. you know, because you'd always have to, um, you would have to work with them. You yeah. know, there was no nailing stuff down. It was fluid. Mm -hmm. It was loose. Yes. Um, when you uh, have the have the occasion to to think back about, you know, older work, do you? How do you look at your? Uh, Evolution. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, have you, I mean, have you I, been in a situation where you've had to sit and watch? I, you know, I LA think about or, it only when yeah. I'm in situations like this. Okay. Which I value. I'm not like... Fair enough. You yeah. know, I'm not shy. I mean, I'm interested in looking back, but I don't do it naturally. Yeah. Because I get my hands full with what I'm doing. Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, when you think back on, for instance, your experience on live, to live and die in L.A. Yeah. Um, Different kind of director. Different kind of director. Yeah, um, uh, you know, you. I remember my life through movies yeah. and the plays that I've done, yeah. which sounds really pathetic, <laughs> but it's a marker. I know what I was doing. I know know what I was interested in. Know mm -hmm. who I was hanging out with. I know where I was sleeping. You know, yeah. that's how I remember my life. Yeah. So you say, uh, you know, for all I say about not looking back, I don't look back, but I have strong associations. Right. Right. To live and die in L.A., I remember Billy Friedkin was great. Yeah. I loved him. And he was scary, too. Yeah. Because he mixed it up. He had been a big studio guy. Yeah. 
and he had a couple of things that sort of disappointed the studio. So he was kind of on his own, and he he was he's a self starter. He's a yeah. He's a tough guy and a smart guy. A real Chicago tough guy. Yeah, yeah. and he thought, okay, I'm going to make this movie. Yeah. And he did it sort of on his own spit and yeah. some money from some friends. So he was in an interesting place, and yeah. he was inventing stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you feel it in the movie. Yeah. Um, but my main thing was my character was supposed to be very cool. Yeah. I look back on that movie. I look like a little kid. <laughs> I looked like a little kid in the schoolyard, but I remember going to clubs in those days, and like the big bouncer would be, "Ooh, it's Rick Masters! Oh, I'm scared of him!" You know, <laughs> so um, that was funny. But yeah. that's not what I want to talk about. Um, yeah. I remember Billy would always say, "Zen Willem, Zen." <laughs> in those days, I know. I have an idea of what Zen is now very yeah. much. I have a relationship to Zen now. Yeah. But then I didn't know what it meant. Uh -huh. It just meant simple. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it means that you're, yeah, well, that's an example of, you know, you're looking back and you realize that you've learned oh, yeah. through experience, you know, what. Uh, and I, maybe I've lost some things too. Yeah. Who knows, you know, mm -hmm. it changes, you change. Mm -hmm. I always admire, um, a, a guy that I've always admired, uh, uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah. You know, when he talks about some of those early, I mean, I shouldn't, I'm not making a comparison. I'm talking about an appreciation, okay? <laughs> I know, I, uh, <laughs> not at all. Um, I wish. <laughs> um, but he used to, I loved it so much that he had the courage to admit that those early songs, some of those early songs, mm -hmm. were genius, and he doesn't know where they came from, yeah. and he probably couldn't do that now. Yeah. And yeah. whether that came out of instinct, naivete, whatever, you yeah. know, who knows? But uh, sometimes I, t occasions I have seen little pieces mm -hmm. of old films, I think, huh, that's interesting. And it's interesting because you didn't know any better. It feels like another self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't know any better, so I thought he's not trying to do something. He's just trying to survive. He's just trying to, you know, he's just doing it mm -hmm. because he doesn't know any better. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, it's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, what um, were there actors that you when you started acting? You know, were there actors that you had as frames of reference, people that you... Not really. Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say this, that I liked, and I you, you, I don't know whether this was an affectation or a protection, but I wouldn't like my other actor friends, which I didn't have many from, yeah. of because I came from a different tradition. I yes. came from an avant-garde avant theater tradition downtown. where yeah. they weren't actors, they weren't theater people, yes. they were painters, dancers, poets, whatever. Right. I remember the actors I liked when I was younger were always kind of like B-movie actors. Yeah. Because they had a kind of simplicity and gravitas. I've never liked show-off actors. Yeah. So guys like Warren Oates. Yeah. You know, I could watch them because I saw a person up there. Yeah. I, it wasn't that they, they weren't transformative necessarily, mm -hmm. but they were, I saw people up on the screen. Yeah. And they were people that I didn't necessarily know, but 
you know, there was a truth there. Yeah. Um, so I was always attracted to that. I guess that's a, and I, I've always been attracted to non-acting. <laughs> um, like in Bresson's films or, or in, in Robert Bresson's films. Yes. Or, yeah. And, you know, I love it also when you, when you see uh, a film that's out of your culture mm -hmm. and you don't know whether the people are actors or not. Yeah. Yeah. Because you may not be familiar with them. Uh, you know, you go deep, you know, mm -hmm. because you don't get thrown out by anything. You don't get thrown out by uh, egotism or narcissism. Yeah. Now, that's pretty funny if you've made, you know, a lot of movies. Probably people, when they see you, they're going to have an association. Yeah. How do you shake that? Well, I can't think about that too much because it's too depressing. But I like the fantasy that you can be transformed and you can come from a different place and and you know i'm i'm always interested in kind of losing myself and having the experience of someone else's uh way of thinking and way of way of being mm -hmm. yeah it, that leads to a question about non working with non-actors in in movies where no, actors and non-actors are kind of mixing it up, and I think that that's Which Florida example Florida was a great example. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very, very special skill on the part of the actors who are working with them, and also on the part of the directors to be able to. Yeah, you know, Sean Baker did a beautiful job in yeah. that movie. In yeah. well, he's in his other movies as well, but yes. particularly that movie. Yeah. Yeah, but what do you think, what, what kind of attention do you have to bring to non-actors to let them, to give them the freedom? Uh, receptivity. Yeah, right. Not to be rigid. Not Do it their way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, be a non-actor yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I somewhere I kind of aspire to that all the time. Mm -hmm. It sounds maybe ridiculous, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Even when you're do in, in some kind of like big budget machinery. I mean, you haven't been making too many of those uh, That's films. a little different sometimes yeah. because uh, in a couple of, you like, know... Like Spider-Man, for instance. Well, Spider-Man was more fluid and more experimental than you think. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was no model. Yeah. And Sam Raimi was making a comic book. I remember friends saying, you're going to make a movie out of a comic book? Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, you whore, you know? Uh -huh. It sounded like a really bad, cheesy yeah. idea. Yeah. But Sam Raimi was a believer. Mm -hmm. And he approached this uh, Spider-Man, I thought was very cool, because it mixed, you know, comedy and drama so well. Mm -hmm. And it was fun, and but it had some stuff. I like that movie. Um, yeah. That didn't feel. And he's a good enough director. Uh, sometimes you get in your situations where your job is clear and you've got to do that right. job. Right. And I try not to get in those situations, but sometimes I have. Mm -hmm. And they can be satisfying. But uh, in the doing, in the yeah. doing, but before the doing, you think... This yeah. is this is work. I got to do that thing, you know. Right, and that's to be avoided at all costs. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I try to avoid that, mm -hmm. not out of not out of pride, just out of I feel like I function better when I'm a little surprised. Mm -hmm. And that's really only possible when you're working with somebody like Apple Ferrara. Well, you're searching you know, for something, or yeah. the, the the degree of difficulty is so great that you just kind of try to be courageous 
just because you don't know any better, because you don't, you know, it's a leap of faith. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why it's funny when people sometimes say, what role would you love to play? Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, no role. <laughs> right. It's like, I don't have an idea of things that I want to show. Yeah. I don't even have a thing, a idea of right. things that I want to express. Right. But I want to be in situations where I want to submit or 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 be in the mix, have something happen, yeah. be there in a receptive, clear, involved way, right. and then it's recorded and uh, it's shared. Yeah. And that's so. In that way, I feel. Yeah, as opposed to like, oh, I want to play Homer or Jonas Salk or something like that, you know. But I mean, for instance, and when you're <laughs> you playing, said Homer, I thought Simpson? Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know the level yeah. of my education. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. Yeah, but uh, but I went to public school. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're playing, when you're playing Van Gogh, you're not playing a historical personage. You're playing. You're not even Vincent. playing Van Gogh. Yeah, yeah. You aren't. Yep. You're learning to paint. Yep. You're being in the places this historical figure called Van Gogh was. Yep. You're taking his words. Yep. You're putting them in your head. You're yep. saying them. You're, yeah, you, you don't want to make something that disrespects. It's because you're taking those elements. You've got to be respectful of those elements. Right, right. Just naturally in the sense of you want to find some sort of Clarity or truth, mm -hmm. but no, I you have to forget about Van Gogh. Yeah, but you're totally intent on Van Gogh because you're gathering the stuff of his life as much as you can, and you're sitting with it and you're making an experience out of it. Yeah. Open it up to the audience for some questions. Here's a question right here, and wait for there's a there should be a microphone, and it's coming. No, no, there's an. He has his own microphone. Yeah. To, see, okay, that was a great spontaneous moment right there. <laughs> there we go. Just trying to entertain. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I was just looking over your uh, film work and everything on Wikipedia. So I'm wondering about your experience. Wikipedia? Yeah. <laughs> Lion bastards. <laughs> well, the question oh, yeah. here is... is, is is known about it. So it says your first role was in 79 for Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. Is that correct? Yes. So the reason that, <laughs> the reason that jumps out at me is as a film student and somebody who loves to look back at the history of Hollywood, especially in the 70s when I grew up, we all know that that was like held up as an example of a massive budget and a tanked at the box office. Yeah. And it was always actually used as like a sample of everything that went wrong, yeah. right? And the, so I'm wondering your experience. What did you learn from it? You were very young, but you were there. And how was Samino as a director? And just it was, it's an interesting experience. I, I was fired from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was. They didn't tell you that on I Wikipedia. Was. Were you in it, though? I don't know if I've seen it. Uh, did, yeah, I'm in it, but very little. How'd you, you get know, fired? I, I was there for three months. Right. It shot for eight months. When I arrived... I was working at the theater, and they made a deal. They said, you're going to go shoot for two months, and then you're going to go home for a month, yeah. and then you're going to come back for two weeks or whatever. The whole film was supposed to be three months. Its budget was, I don't know what. Huge. But, yeah. No, no. It no, started it, out like 
10 million doubled or, something. or tripled right? and then it yeah. became 40. That's what I meant. In those days, that. which was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, we were in a lighting setup all day, all day in full costume, full makeup, standing there, yeah. which is fair. Yeah. But it was a little tedious. And I'm conscientious. I, I was shooting a lot. Chimino seemed to like me. We were in a lighting setup. Someone told me a joke. And I laughed. And he heard the laugh, and he turned around, saw me. And I think by that time, he was under a lot of pressure. And he felt a little paranoid. And oh, he said, Willem, step out. And everybody was like, Ugh. And I, and I stepped out. I said, what's up? And he said, Don, just, uh, just uh, go, to your, go to your hotel. So I went to the hotel, and about two hours later, <laughs> Here's your plane ticket. a fourth AD hands me a plane ticket. <laughs> I kid you not. No one said anything to me. Yeah. And I said, what's going on? They said, yeah, you're wrapped. I said, wow. <laughs> And he said, no, no, great, great, okay, have a good trip. And that was it. Mm. It was pretty. You know, the first day, we became a week behind. The first the math. day. First day, we became about a week behind because he was inventing things. And um, it was very exciting. The movie was very exciting. And he... He probably would have made an even better movie, but the pressure got, you know, it yeah. was a runaway budget. It was mismanaged. But um, he, was a, he was a very good filmmaker, I'd say. But, um, but eight months huh? is a long, eight months is a long, it is. long time. He, no, yeah. but he was doing very interesting things. Sure. And, and uh, where he got hung up is the story was sliding around. And yeah. I'm not a guy that thinks cinema's all about narrative right because i'm not some i'm sometimes i'm a great believer in the words the stories hide the truth <laughs> right. um but uh the story didn't hold together and it was a western people wanted a western yeah yeah Just uh, you come off the deer hunter which uh, de niro has said to this day is the finest thing he's ever done he's the most proud of the deer hunter than any other film I didn't know he said that. De Niro that. said he's prouder of the deer hunter than any other film he's ever done. I want I want the tapes. I want the tapes. Be careful. <laughs> if Wikipedia is your go-to yeah, source. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a Wikipedia entry to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we all I have our weak moments. Right? <laughs> I the Fockers is the best film I've ever... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. One sucker. Anyway, you brought up a painful subject. What's that? Yeah, anyway. But I'm not happy at anyone's misery. Yeah. Uh, what kind of research did you have to do about historical facts, about Van Gogh, about different moments in his life that you had to prepare? What kind of preparation did you have to do? The painting was a huge preparation. Also, very important while Julian and Jean-Claude uh, Carrier were writing the script, Julian said, read that Naifa Smith Greg, uh, White Smith book, uh, The Life, yes. Van Gogh, which yeah. was a really substantial biography, quite celebrated. I liked reading it a lot. 
I um, and you read the letters and the, yeah, I read yeah. the letters. Julian also said, when you go through that book, pick out anything that interests you, mm-hmm. any events, anything he says. And I did. Yeah. And I wrote, you know, made notes. I typed up. They were probably ten pages, and I gave them to. Uh, Jean-Claude and Julian. And some of that got incorporated into the script, which was nice because yeah. that, that kind of started bringing me into that process. Yeah. Um, the letters, biographical stuff. Now, keep in mind that we're dealing with a very specific period, his most prolific period. He was working all the time. So that's what I did. I painted. I painted, I painted, I painted. And, um, you know, was in nature a lot. Basically that. Uh, which character uh, emotionally changed you the most uh, in your career? Ah, that's two questions. Me and my career, they're like this. <laughs> um, Thank you. Emotion- uh, that's hard. It's hard. Uh, I don't know. Was it the character that changed that- if there are changes you know, that occur, first, is it the experience? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, sometimes it's the same thing when someone says, you know, what, mo- what movie did you enjoy the most? I mean, did I enjoy it because it was fun to make or did I enjoy it because it was successful? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit like that question. Yeah. Um, you know, certain, certain movies stick out. I think the movies that I affect me most are the ones where I had to... Uh, you know, where I had a substantial role, I was shooting every day. And for, for example, Van Gogh and, and uh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Pasolini, by Pasolini, Ferrara, which I hope. Um, um, these, these are yeah. movies where um, I'm learning a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I'm learning about another person's life. And I'm also gathering a lot of material of these very well-documented lives. So I'm like a student. I'm learning a lot. That doesn't go away. So also T.S. Eliot many years ago, I went, he's had such a well-documented life. He was prolific. He wrote letters. He wrote beautiful criticism. He wrote beautiful poetry. He made plays. There were lots of biographies on him. I read all this stuff. And then we shot in London Actually, a lot of the actual addresses that he lived, because he hopped around quite a bit. And that stays with me forever. And then... That's Tom and Viv. Tom and Viv. A small English film, but uh, got good response, actually. Um, Those those are are the ones that stick. And then there are the ones that are just pleasurable and fun, like Bobby Peru in uh, David Lynch. And Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart, yeah. Those are memorable because they're fun. And there's other ones that are fun because they great adventures, like a movie called Victory by Mark Peplow, very little seen film. Mm-hmm. But we shot in beautiful places, mm-hmm. and it was a period film. And I would go to set on this, you know, uh, boat from the 19th century, and I'd put on speedos, go down the side and swim to the set, and they'd meet me there with the rowboats with my costume, and we'd shoot, you know? It was fun. Uh, so I didn't give you a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> were, there, were there any that you, that you thought were going to turn out? I mean, I'm sure that there were, but 
I guess I'm asking about that experience of thinking that something's going to turn out well, and in the end, yeah, uh, can you I don't feel think it when I, you're making there's, it? There's sometimes I'm disappointed. You know, sometimes yeah. there's the old story where it's usually when a director is not very flexible, right? And they make a show flex. Uh, they make a game of flexibility while you're shooting it. So but they're it's not like, in actuality you know, flexible. Uh, Let's do another one, but this one, do it really hard. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't yeah. see it that way. Uh -huh. Okay, I'll give you one like that. Yeah. And then you see it cut together, and they take all the takes where you're like that. Yeah. It's like, you jerk, you know? Mm -hmm. You rope-a-doped me, you know? Mm -hmm. I gave you a wide range of things, and you kept on going to that particular thing. Mm -hmm. Because the film, you know, the film is made in post-production. You know, it's an editor's medium, it's a director's medium. Actors are essential. I'm not being um, falsely modest. Actors are essential because we've got to bring the quality of being there. And if they have nothing to work with, they can do all kinds of fancy, fancy stuff, but it's yeah. not going to have any soul. So I take my job seriously, but I also recognize at a certain point, you got to let go. You got to give them stuff that is is whole enough, integrated enough, truthful enough, that no matter how they cut it, they can't take that away from you. Right. But sometimes, in an interest of being flexible and being collaborator, you give someone something that they're asking for that is against your impulses. Right. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. This is why it's important to trust people that you work with. Mm -hmm. There have been movies where I've done that, mm -hmm. and they've we haven't shared, you know, uh, we don't have the same idea. Yeah. And then I feel kind of betrayed because I betrayed myself because I tried to be generous, but, you know, no good deeds go unpunished. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the beautiful thing about making movies. You know, it's really revealing about people's characters how generous they are, yeah. and what they do and don't do, and why they do it and don't. I love this sociological thing of being in this group of people that come together, yeah. particularly when you're on location and everyone leaves their lives and they make a new life. Yeah. You really see yeah, the stuff people are made of. <laughs> yeah. No, it's creating a new organism. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like Francois Truffaut said that, you know, making a film is like going into a fugue state. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, good. For everybody. Yep. Right. So, uh, out of all the roles, um, all diverse roles you did, were there, out of what role did you feel like you you became the character? Where you looked in the mirror and you were, you were method acting and you prepped? no method acting. Method acting is not no part method of your, acting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. All, all and none. Hmm. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I really don't have a good answer because I don't think about that. As I say, I'm trying to find something clear, something truthful, something engaged. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Whether I became the character or not, that's, that's like make-a-believe. I think that's, that's mythology. What's important is what people experience from the movie. And sometimes people can be totally 
I don't know, uh, they, it can function very well, and, but there can be no transformation or no change. There are great performances in cinema. Yeah. You know, great actors who use themselves iconographically, and there's not, nothing transformational about right. them, but they bring something that really makes you see in a different way or, you know, helps facilitate a, a story or make something beautiful, you know? Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. uh, there's all kinds of actors, and I guess I'm most interested in being vital for whatever the film needs me to do. And each time it's different. So this notion that you have to become the character, I, it, I'm kind of repelled by it. I think you have to inhabit the character. You've got to invent the character. You have to make something. And it's the character is something that is created out of you. Yeah. It's not anyone else doing it, so it is me. So I have become the character. I don't know. I don't know. I feel funny about that, to tell you the truth. Yeah, it's one model of acting, and it's a model yes, of acting and that's, it's, that's it's a little discussed because zeroed in on in the press yeah, a lot. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So forgive me. Hi, I've been waiting to ask this and trying to figure out how I wanted to ask it, so I'll, it'll just come out. Um, oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. No pressure, um, by the way. No, no pressure. Um, I'm not standing. Maybe I'll stand up. That's okay. good. All right, That's here good. we go. First step. Um, so I saw the Florida Project, and I'm a retired social worker, and I was knocked out by what you did as the manager and I think that was uh, a movie that should have gotten much more attention and your role in it and all the other people, amazing ensemble acting. And I was wondering and comparing that to seeing Van Gogh last night and having been to all of the places because I went on some kind of art tour in 1990 about where Van Gogh lived. So it brought back a lot of things and how aggressive the museum is about insisting that he committed suicide, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So can you help me understand uh, when you say you don't become the character, but I was so impressed by the reality of what you did with Van Gogh and also the manager of the hotel because that comes out of my work and life experience. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for that. Um, uh, for the Florida Project, the key to that was really being a manager. You know, being not being an actor, being a manager. Not in a method way, just doing the stuff that a manager does. And, and naturally, because we were shooting in a real motel, I got to know those people. And this beautiful thing happens where them became us. I became one of them. It wasn't mm -hmm. acting. I was doing the job. It was like I was really a manager. And that's not a method thing. It happens by accident, by committing to the actions, the doing. You familiarize yourself with yeah. the rhythm. May, to, take it on. Yeah. That's, you know. And I guess, listen, I probably didn't describe it very well, but this whole idea of becoming the character. The character doesn't exist. Van Gogh doesn't exist. We don't know who Van Gogh was. He's yeah. not here. He's left us some art. And we can interpret all kinds of ways. But this is all invention. We're inventing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's not, there's no sense of becoming the character. Yeah. It's about creating something that's true and resonant and, and means, you know, has some life to it. That people see it and, 
it does something to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just saying, it's you know, when you get into this thing about becoming the character, or when we talk about acting, we talk about it like it's a sport sometimes, you know? I even heard some critics talking about, they were talking about Oscar stuff, you know, and they, they were talking about different performances, and they were talking about degree of difficulty. Oh, yeah. That should be a new category, I think, right? <laughs> well, he had the accent, he handled that, he did this, he looks like him, he doesn't yeah, lose it, you know, yeah. this kind of thing. It's not a competitive sport. Yeah. It, it has to be judged Damn in right. the hearts of all of us, you know, every spectator. Now, it's difficult because there's so much, there's a glut of stuff to watch and, you know, people want to point you in the right direction. So they want to make, make the signs easy. So we invent this kind of language to talk about these things so we can have, have you know, prizes and things and point people towards uh, what we want them to see. Yeah. Um, you know, that's all the time we have, and I just, you know, there's a lot more to say, but Willem, I talk too much, maybe. No, no. <laughs> what, are you fast. kidding? <laughs> I want to ask everybody just if you could please remain in your seats while Will, Willem exits the theater. Thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>